Welcome to a new edition of Lateral Conversations, my weekly podcast. My name is Tom Mark. I guess this is episode 28. And my guest today is Andrew Cohn. Andrew Cohn is a spiritual teacher who was head and guru of Enlightened Next for more than 25 years. After the dissolution of Enlightened Next in 2013, he went into a sabbatical and is now resuming his teaching position. And I'm very glad that he took the time to talk to me about what happened with Enlightened Next. We were talking about the controversies uh, his return has created in the blogosphere. We have talked a lot about um, the role of the spiritual teacher in a postmodern age. We talked about uh, violence and the role of violence in a religious or spiritual group. There's a very important book on this issue, um, which is uh, by French philosopher René Girard, the book Violence and the Sacred. And the thing is, Girard shows that there is an inherent relationship between our nature being violent and our approach to the sacred. And that we can't really think about one thing if we don't integrate or think about the other thing, that is violence. And if we don't acknowledge that the our basic relationship to the sacred is through violence, then we don't comprehend the phenomenons which are arising in the spiritual and religious culture. So, check out this fascinating book. Furthermore, I hope you will enjoy this podcast. If you want to support this podcast, you can do this by using either the Amazon affiliate link or the PayPal link which you will find beneath the download link for this episode. So, I hope you will enjoy this one. Take care, guys, and have a nice week. Andrew, thank you very much for joining me in this podcast. It's my pleasure, it's my pleasure Thomas. Um, Andrew, you were a spiritual teacher for 25, 28 years? 27. 27 years. I started, and teaching, started teaching in 1986. 1986, yes. And you were teaching evolutionary enlightenment? Um, well, that, that's what the teaching was for the last 10 or 15 years, but it went through many different evolutions and changes over the years. Okay. But, but it, beca it became a finally evolutionary enlightenment, yes. You wrote a book about this? It yes. was your last book, right? The last book was called Evolutionary Enlightenment, yes. Mm -hmm. So, and then in 2013, when I get this right, you re um, resigned as a spiritual teacher, right? Well, I, I wouldn't say I resigned as a spiritual teacher, but I, 
I offered and agreed to step down and to take a sabbatical to stop teaching for originally what was going to be a six-month period. Oh, okay. it, ended, okay. it ended up being three and a half years. Okay. Okay, I yeah. remember that moment. I was attending the Integral Conference in Nuremberg. Yeah. And I guess it was a Sunday where suddenly everybody was talking about your mm. um, <laughs> um, resigning or whatever. So what, what, what happened there? Well, what happened was, um, I, it's, it's a complicated story, but um, what happened at the end was I think that it became clear to many of my senior students, I think for probably about a two-year period before the end, that things needed to change. Um, my role as a traditional mythic guru needed to change because a lot of people were feeling this was no longer appropriate for the context we were living in, for the reality of what it means to be a postmodern adult. And our organization was um, uh, was not working we, as, as, as an organization. We weren't working. We were failing financially. We were failing. A lot of people were concerned about their futures. So a lot of things were really going wrong at the same time. And I wasn't really caring for the situation. I wasn't even fully, uh, I mean, I was aware of, of many of the problems. But I think, in, uh, as I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, of course, I was in denial of, of, of the fact that... Uh, the so many so many fundamental ways we were working together needed to change. The fact that we weren't functioning as an organization well needed to change. The fact that my role as a as a guru and as, as a teacher needed to change. I was avoiding it, and uh, finally, a group of my senior students, you know, said they wanted to meet with me about this. And I, instead of realizing this was an urgent situation that I needed to respond to, I. I th I think what happened was that I was afraid of losing my 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 posi my powerful position of being of being of being the the leader in the traditional sense, and I think I felt very threatened. So I I became very prideful, and I instead of instead of responding to the, responding to their need for me to respond to the situation, I kind of retreated, and I felt threatened and betrayed. And this eventually led to a an enormous amount of anger and frustration and disillusionment by many of the senior students, and it led to a, a very major crisis in the organization and in, in the relationships with the people that I was most closest to. It eventually led to me uh, agreeing and also offering to take this time off to step back. And very shortly after I stepped back and stepped down, the organization began to crumble and fall apart, and within more or less three months, Enlighten Next was, was gone. Hmm. It, it, was, it's, it was an enormous tragedy, and it's when I'm still... I'm still feel terrible about what happened. I'm still I'm still coming to terms with it. I mean, it's, it's something I, I think about really all day, most days. I'm still mm. really consumed by it because it was a terrible tragedy, and I I I I, I, I failed in my role as a leader and as a teacher in a very very profound way, and I'm I, I feel very very bad about it. And a lot of my students are still suffering very much because of what happened. So it's. The, the 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 crisis that was that I caused and the consequences of the consequences of that crisis are still very much being felt by many people and I we're we're in we're in a we're all still in a process together how it's all going to be resolved is not clear but it's it's still very much uh, a crisis that is in process. Okay, so uh, you you talked about realizing that the traditional mystic guru role was not working anymore in the context of uh, our postmodern world we're living in. So the when, mythic, not, not mystic, mythic. Mythic. So when when exactly was that? Um, how, how many months or, or years 
before the dissolution of Enlightened Next was that first realization that it doesn't work anymore till well, that moment um, the crisis was uh, unfolding? Well, I think for me personally, I didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't understand it until probably about a year and a half ago. I mean, I think for my older, my older students, my senior students, I think this is, this is something they were probably becoming aware of in different ways. I'm, I'm guessing probably for about seven or eight years in different ways leading up to the end. I think they, I think they were beginning to question, to question it. I, I never questioned it. And I, I, it never, it never occurred to me that there was something fundamentally wrong with the mythic identity of the spiritual teacher of the spiritual guru. And I had very much embodied and embraced this mythic persona, this mythic identity. And it took me, um, it took me really the better part of a, a year and a half or two years after the fall to really begin to understand why the, 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 the mythic identity can, is, is, is completely inappropriate and can't function really in a, in, a, in, the, in a postmodern world. And just to define what we're speaking about, in the, in the, in the, in the mythic or traditional era, the, the enlightened one, or the, the, the one who's presumed to be the enlightened master, is presumed to be, is believed to be perfect, a, a, a perfected human. Mm. And that so someone who's perfect, who's who's literally come to the end of development, they're perfect in every way, which means they're all knowing and they're all seeing, and everything they do is everything they they do and everything they say and everything that they respond to is perceived and understood to be to be coming from a place of utter emptiness and utter selflessness. And often, what happens when one meets a powerfully enlightened person or a powerfully enlightened teacher? Uh, and one has a, a, a powerful experience of one's heart expanding and one's consciousness expanding, uh, the feelings are very, very strong. And the feeling of, of love and bliss and, 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 a, and a awareness and a, and a sense of the infinite, the feeling of being released from the narrow boundaries of the personal self are so profound. You're talking want, about disciples now, or you're talking about yourself? Well, I'm talking about the ex often the kinds of experiences that happen in the context of being with a powerfully enlightened teacher in this mythic context. And so, what I wanted to say was that uh, that in the in those moments we we project the because the the feelings we're having are the, are, are feelings uh, that are truly their the experiences of perfection, of, of, of total goodness, of absolute freedom. And so if, if we believe or we imagine, or in fact the catalyst for these experiences is another human being, in this case a spiritual teacher, a spiritual guru, what, what often happens is we project the, uh, we project the, the sense of, of, of perfection. It's, it's called, we idealize that individual. We see them as being perfect. And if that individual is playing the is playing the role, like I definitely was playing the role of the satguru or the perf perfected one, uh, the a lot of the problems that happened around me, the the, the we are uh, the structures are laid down that create a lot of the problems that often happen in spiritual groups. So you're saying you were playing a role instead of being uh, authentic, or what do you mean? Well, I, I mean, I was being because to me, I, I, I was I was being authentic because I I very much believed that I had reached the reached the other the yonder shore that I had uh, um, fundamentally transcend. I mean, I was deluded, but I fundamentally believed that I transcended my ego 
in, in a very fundamental way. And as I have spoken about publicly, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I mean, it just happens to be the truth, that I believe that I, ha I had no shadow anymore. Hmm. I, and, you know, now, of course, when I think about it, or even when I say it, it's ridiculous, and I'm, and I'm embarrassed to say it. But the truth is, for most of the years I was teaching, I actually believed that I had no shadow and that I was much more conscious than I actually was. Hmm. This ended up creating a lot of problems. But in the, con in the context of the mythic identity, one can actually do these things. Mm. So, and then it was like around 2005 that this self-image um, was questioned by the group, more no. or less. Was start, no, starting because you said about seven, eight years before. No, no, no. no there was no, there was no questioning. I'm, I'm saying that I, in with from conversations I've had with some of my senior students. I, they were telling me that they, they had realized that the, because it wasn't only that I had a mythic identity as a, as a, as a spiritual teacher, as a guru, mm -hmm. it's also we had a, 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 mythic, a, a, hier a mythic hierarchical power structure mm -hmm. in our organization and in our, in our, in our community. And the, and the, the mythic hierarchy is a, is, a, is, a, is a very rigid and very strong power hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And so what I think many of them were beginning to question was the rigidity of the power hierarchy was being questioned, I think, about seven or eight years earlier, because the, the paradox of the big contradiction in me as a teacher and, and my community was that we were embracing, uh, very much through my in friendship with Ken Wilber, we were very much embracing uh, integral philosophy and integral ideas. And fundamentally, most importantly, we're embracing you know, evolutionary theory and an evolutionary orientation to, to life, to being, to existence. And so we were embracing some very sophisticated ideas and putting it in a, in a, in a mystical or enlightenment context. And we were doing it in, in, in ways that were powerful and, and, and catalytic and, and, and often very beautiful. So the contradiction was that we were, we were really a very sophisticated group of people who practiced a lot of self-reflection and we inquired together, individually and together. And I, as a teacher, I always emphasized inquiring and questioning uh, to a very rare and unusual degree, I believe, for, for a spiritual group. And I think the magazine that we produced together, Enlightened Next, for 19 years, is a testimony to the degree, the depth and the sophistication and the complexity of the inquiry that we were involved in. So in light of that, the fact that I was holding on to a mythic identity and I wasn't questioning it, and we, and we were using this, this very mythic, rigid hierarchy mm -hmm. without being aware of the contradiction for a very long time, is a paradox that makes our story also very interesting. So what, what I was saying is I, I think that, uh, and I've, as I've talked to some people about I think for about seven, eight, nine years before the end, I think there were different moments when some, some of my more senior students had different reasons to question the rigidity of the structure we were working with. And then I think as we were getting closer to the end, I think people were seeing that... Um, that I was making mistakes. I was there. there were, I was making mistakes. There was error, error. I was making errors in judgment. I was uh, um, resistant to feedback. I didn't. I, I didn't like to be questioned. And I think a lot of this started to build up momentum and gathered steam until it eventually blew up. Hmm. What can you can you um, describe a typical situation? What happened then when your authority was questioned, or when when these uh, postmodern uh, values conflicted with the mythic role you were inhabiting? Um, well, I mean, I think that I, I think I think the the uh, the effects of this lack of development in, in the structures that we were working with affected us in almost 
in many, many different ways. I mean, a lot of the um, one one very big problem was a lot of uh, a lot of my because basically for a postmodern adult, uh, postmodernity gave us really the gift of individuality. The, mm. We a postmodern adult needs to be able to fully individuate to become self-actualized, mm. and in the traditional mythic guru system, you when you surrender to the guru, you you to different degrees become your you, you to different degrees you give up your need to individuate to surrender and to give your your creative gifts and capacities to. Mm. To the, to the mind of the guru, to the will of the guru in the creative process. Now, because we were a sophisticated group, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm describing, it wasn't black and white because many of my students, you know, one of the, one compliment I've received very often from other spiritual teachers is that they've never, when they met my students, they said they never met students of, they never met other students who were so serious, who were so sophisticated and had, who had, and had so much depth. Hmm. So, so there, so, so there was an extraordinary kind of development happening in our group. But there was a because of the mythic, because this mythic guru system. I think the the needs of the, of the, the natural and the natural and inherent need of a postmodern adult to be able to fully individuate was being suppressed hmm. by the and by the system, and I think by the conscious and unconscious ex expectations of the guru system. Hmm. So I think many, so many people suffered as a res, many people suffered as a result of that. And I think my my senior my old my oldest and closest students at the end I think really many of them needed to they needed to spread spread their own wings and fly free and be able to really become become their own person and become their become become themselves mm -hmm. in in ways that the 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 way we were working as a group and the way that we were working as 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 an organization and I think also also because of my own expectations was was suppressive. Mm -hmm. This is. This was one very big problem with the system that we were that we were working with. But what I'm saying, what I what I mean to say though is, it's a it's very complicated because we were also working with very sophisticated ideas and aspirations that also uh, help to uh, awaken uh, spiritually, awaken and intellectually uh, um, illuminate people in profound mm. and extraordinary ways. So there was a. We we were we were we were a living paradox, and the paradox and the contradictions I think got more and more extreme as time went on. Yeah, yeah, I'm just wondering because obviously you are a child of postmodernity as well as everybody of us. So, but but it never occurred to you in those years that this way the the disciples are being submissive to you or, or put you on this pedestal that this is, is not a sane and 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 healthy way to. To deal with development and and spirituality. I mean, I, to, the honest truth is, that it never occurred to me. And I mean, now, now of course, I'm shocked by it now because I've really, I've done a lot of thinking about all this, obviously, and I've struggled a lot with all this. But I, um, I very much, but right up until the end, and even after the end, I very much was holding on to the a very rigid idea about the significance of submission to the spiritual master. Hmm. As a, As a vehicle or a way to transcend the ego, the separate self, and I was not, and, and I was not aware of the fact that see the problem with the, with with that with the guru with the mythic guru system as a path is spiritual surrender is one thing, but sur often surrender 
the spiritual master, master in the context of the mythic, the, the mythic traditional system, also means that the individual becomes disempowered. Mm. So, so, so there's a difference between becoming disempowered and the experience of surrender of the separate self or the ego, and often they get mixed up. So, so too often, especially in the intensity of a lot of the spiritual work we were together, uh, the, the disempowerment, uh, because, because, I mean, however, this, however, we're going, however, uh, higher spiritual and mystical, mystical development is going to develop in the future. It's still, if it's going to have anything to do with enlightenment, it's still going to be very much about transcending the ego. But the, the question has to be, how are we going to transcend the ego or the separate self without in any way giving up our power or becoming disempowered? And in the old system, and very much the system that I was teaching and the one that I was advocating, I've come to understand through a lot of deep introspection about it that many people in gross and subtle ways became disempowered. Hmm. And now, of course, that our... Um, but isn't, our, isn't the, the, the model, that the, the thinking that you have transcend and overcome your ego, isn't that in itself a mythical uh, yes. a, a perspective that doesn't hold it, up to uh, yes. new psychological uh, yes. insights? No, no, I, I, absolutely, because I don't believe, I, I, don't, I actually don't believe it's possible really for anybody to completely transcend the ego, but, but there are differing degrees. We can have a, a measure of transcendence or an, and a greater measure of transcendence and, even, and an even greater measure of transcendence. But the idea that we will have transcended the ego once and for all and finally forever is, is, is a fictitious and outdated notion. I agree with you. But, the, but, but what I wanted to say was, is that the, the problem in the, in, in the, in the mythic hierarchy is the problem of disempowerment, not of ego transcendence, but of disempowerment. And I think, in order to speak about this in, in an appropriate way, we have to we have to separate these two, because e ego transcendence is always positive and liberating, but disempowerment is 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 is, is a negative is a negative thing, and it um, mm. it, stu it, it stunts human growth. Human growth. We all have to find a way to become more and more empowered. So, mm. the, so the relationship between ego transcendence. How do we approach the whole notion of ego transcendence without ever giving up our power or becoming disempowered is the important question here. Mm. But in the context of these systems, in the system with, with, with a powerful guru and a teacher and, a, uh, and with a community that's based on the mythic system, these are often always the problems that happens. Mm. And, um, and, and once again, you know, that doesn't mean that we didn't that we weren't doing extraordinary spiritual work together that yielded great fruits. It's just that at the same time as, as the great work and the great fruits were being given and co-created with other people. What kind were, of fruits, what kind of uh, positive things happened? So what, what kind of work did you do? What were the, the positive evolutionary fr fruits you're, you're talking about? Well, I, well, I think many people had the experience of, of, uh, of being on the ultimate adventure, you know, the, the, the ultimate metaphysical and creative adventure, the adventure of a lifetime of, of giving everything to, to the, uh, to, to, uh, it's, it's, ha when you, in other words, when we, because you see, in most of the relationships that we have with other human beings, are, are, they're, they're, they're based upon particular values. So when, when consciousness and the evolution of consciousness becomes the highest shared value that brings people together. Mm. Uh, one experiences a, a kind of ecstatic intimacy with the other or the others 
that is unlike any kind, any other kind of human intimacy because it, it transcends any experience of intimacy, intimacy that's personal. To one experiences an ecstatically transpersonal intimacy that is enlivening, that is enlivening, that is ecstatic, and that is pregnant and bubbling with uh, h- higher intelligence and higher motivations. So, um, so there, the, the, so the, ex- the experience of of, of an ex- in a rare and extraordinary degree of that kind of intimacy is um, is fulfilling, almost like nothing else in life. And also, we were. As a community, we were we were really working on. Um, yeah, but this, uh, sorry when I when I interrupt, but this is sure. pretty vague. Can can you um, elaborate this? Um, what, how how is this bubbling intensity was manifesting itself? You know, like can you give give an example? What what was it like? Uh, well, I, I when before you interrupt, I was going to give more qualities, but uh, but what I'm saying is I don't what. You see, the, the, my teaching, the, the, the my teaching developed in the way that it did because when I met my teacher, I had a very powerful experience of, of subjective or interior awakening or enlightenment. It's, an, it's it's when your consciousness expansion, you become aware of infinity, hmm. and in, the nature of that infinity is is love and bliss and a kind of freedom that's impossible to describe with the intellectual mind. So, but it, it occurred to me that as long as this experience remains merely in the realm of the subjective or the interior of one unique individual, it really has no power to be able to affect the evolution of culture, the evolution of the world. Mm. So I became very interested, how can this experience not only be just an interior experience of indivi- one, indivi- one individual, but the shared intersubjective ground between individuals mm. and effect- Kind of con- that experience of consciousness can become the shared inter- intersubjective ground that individuals share. The, the 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 intersubjective or cultural context that's being lived and experienced by the individuals will be very unique, very profound, and very different. So this is what we were working on very very diligently in the mm-hmm. focused way for most of those 27 years, and we achieved many many breakthroughs. Okay. But um, but, but of course, once we had that experience, the question was well. How do we wanted to think about? You know, how does this uh, how does this change our relationship to being human? How does this change our relationship to relationships? How does this change our relationship to just about everything? How does this change our relationship to being in the world? And a lot of our spiritual work was really looking at once we had achieved this, these kinds of breakthroughs and these experiences were were, were very common for us. We were, we were very much looking into you know what does all this mean and How how is this important for the evolution of culture itself? And um, and also we were we were exploring a lot of the, the the philosophical and metaphysical truths and ideas and perspectives of integral philosophy and of evolutionary thinking. We were we were ha- we were discussing them all, all together all the time, and our, the, all and li- the lives that we were living were being lived in the context of of a very big. Ideas and deep history, and the whole notion of, of, of what it, does it really mean to live in the context of an aspiration for, for a willingness to, to change at the deepest level. Okay. So that, yeah. So it was very, it, it was like being on a very big so, adventure. Yes. Okay. The, so, the um, <laughs> so this, I, I have to ask because um, you 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 are entering the. The spiritual scene again, and um, because it's, it's you said it's paradoxical 
because there's, for example, this A-list um, in, in uh, Integral World, um, this abuse list, I don't know if you have read it or if you know I, I about it. Yeah, of course I know about it. I read it a long time ago. So there's, of course, a little bit of speculation in the internet. What, what about it is true? What about is, is fiction? Can, can you tell me or can you say something to this? Have, what, what is your perspective on this? Well, my perspective on it is that I made some very serious mistakes and some of the things on there are true. And I, especially at points earlier in my teaching career, when I, I, the, the, I, I, was, I was trying to push mm. to make changes happen. Mm. And at times I pushed too hard and people suffered a great deal. And I, I, um, I made some terrible mistakes and I made some terrible errors in judgment mm. that caused a very significant amount of suffering and I and regret that and I feel very bad about that. And um, You said some I, of it is true. How, how much more or less? It's 50%, it's 30%, it's 70%. More or less, can you, can, do you recall? Probably around 60 or 70%. Mm. Mm. And I mean, the context in which, we, in which these things happened was I was, I was, um, I, well, I mean, again, there's no, I had, I have no excuse. So there really mm. is, I have no excuse and there is no justification, but I, I can, I can tell you the the context in which these things happened was that, um, when we, um, bought our property in Fox Hollow, mm. many students moved there and we were all suddenly living there together. I became aware of the fact, and this is my, I became aware of the fact that many of my students, I, I were very self-satisfied because many, many of them felt that I was the greatest teacher in the world and they were the luckiest people in the world to be with me. Mm. And we were all, and we were living together in this beautiful place. And it, and it became, and my understanding was then and still is that this is only going to work if we all are working as hard as we can to develop every day, every week, every month, every year. Mm. So if each individual is working very hard to develop, if each individual who's part of that collective is working in, in, in individually very hard to develop, then the collective as a whole is going to become a very vibrant, living expression of evolution and action. Mm. So, so what I began to see, what was happening around me, and I, and I have seen this happen around a lot of spiritual teachers, is that a lot of people seem very self-satisfied. A lot of people felt, well, we've arrived, we've made it. We are with you know, the greatest teacher in the world, we're in this luckiest place in the world, and we're all together, and that's it. And I, I felt that we, we hadn't arrived anywhere, that basically, that in an evolutionary context, you never arrive, you're, all, you're, always, reaching for some, you're always reaching for something that's new. Mm. And, I, and what my idea was, and what I was striving for, was to inspire everyone to to make that kind to be willing to consistently make that kind of spiritual effort as individuals so collectively as a whole as a so as a collective we could we could be um generating a kind of evolutionary energy that would make extraordinary things possible and so the events that happened that happened on the a-list were 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 times where i went when i went too far in pushing people to to make the effort to evolve and again, I have no excuse for it. There's no justification. I'm, I'm ashamed and embarrassed, and I wish these things I mean, had never happened, and I wish I'd never done them. So there is, I do have no excuse, 
but I, but I'm just saying that the, the the context in which I uh, because I I was battling with at the time what seemed like an you know inertia, mm-hmm. individual and collective inertia, that I, I that I was battling with so that I could create change and movement and um, you know it's it's not black and white I mean some some of the, many of these things should have never happened and yet at, yet at other times when I pushed that hard some very dramatic and very real breakthroughs occurred. Hmm. That that doesn't excuse me from the harm hmm. I've caused. Have you have you ever read um, René Girard? No, I haven't. This is a French uh, philosophy uh, philosopher and anthropologist who um, wrote a big deal about the relationship between um, the sacred and spirituality, religion, and violence, and. He argued that if you have, for example, a, a group, a spiritual group, um, um, a religious group with a, a mythic figure, then inside of the group are always violent tendencies appearing in form of jealousy, in form of status struggle about the good positions, about all these things. And the way those, those internal conflicts of the group Uh, are resolved is by viol- by violence of the teacher, by scapegoating, for example. And René Girard argues that it's it's basically inherent to spiritual and religious groups. We can't understand what's happening if you don't acknowledge these these power structures and these violent structures. This is his argument. So, and when you say, okay, there there were students who felt like they had arrived at some point. You had to use some power structures to get some new place. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Do do you uh, now observe your behavior as violent back then? At times, yes, absolutely. At at the time, it never occurred to me. At the time, I was trying to... I mean, I, I was a very radical teacher. So I I got to a point where I felt that I would do anything to make change happen. Mm. And I gave I gave myself too much license, mm. and I was not and I um, and again I'm ashamed of these things now, and I feel very bad about it. But I I very much I mean I also was very transparent about this. I I I told my and again what I'm saying to you now is not an excuse, mm. vacation, but I'm just telling you my where my thinking was at the time that I. I was very much seeing things through a process perspective, and I told my students, I said, I'm, I'm see, I see all of you as means to an end, hmm. and the end is what I'm interested in. Hmm. And, 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 and so I, and I, so I want, I, I, so I, the end is, I wanted to, I felt, I saw this intersubjective breakthrough, I saw that something was possible, I had a vision uh, of the possibility of, of a breakthrough in consciousness about six, seven years before it happened, and I was trying to work with groups in different ways to make this happen, to make this uh, happen. And um, and one of our big, biggest collective spiritual accomplishments was a breakthrough that occurred on July, mm-hmm. July 30th, 2001. I don't know if you ever, you've heard about this. But um, what, what I was trying to do and and this well, this doesn't excuse the 
the extreme measures that I used or the harm that I caused. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to give you an idea of the context. I'm not trying to excuse myself. Mm. Um, I wanted my students to want these breakthroughs to happen as much as I did. And I knew that if they if they wanted the, wanted these breakfasts as much as I did, then something big was going to happen. And on this July 30th uh, event, which there were there, I was putting a lot of pressure on a large group of my male students. And eventually, it, and, and it was all failing. And eventually, I threw them all off our property. I threw them out. I said, "You're not being serious enough." Said, I really mean it. We really have to do this. And then. Um, and then they were outside for a long, for, I can't remember, for a long time they were out, they were staying in hotels around the property and there was a real, there was a feeling of desperation. And my position was that I wasn't gonna back down, that they had to meet me. And one by one they asked if they could come back. So they started coming back one by one. And then I put them in our meditation hall and there was like about 30, if my memory serves me right, there was about 30 guys went on this very intensive meditation retreat for I think one or two months. Hmm. And they had, um, Many of them had given up their jobs. I mean, it was it was a, it was a kind of a life or death struggle or life or death battle at this point, and and I was supporting them in this in, in this retreat, and I was having some of my students eventually start meeting with them in the evenings. And then uh, after I think it, after it was two months, something exploded between them. It was an explosion of um, there, there was an explosion of consciousness, and it was really the very thing that I had been seeing in the eye of my mind for so long that this. The, 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 the subjective experience of non-duality became a shared intersubjective experience with a level of profundity and intensity that had never happened before because the individuals were all aware of themselves as being unique individuals, hmm. but they were simultaneously aware of the fact that they were part of one process in which there was only one and not two. Hmm. And so the, this, 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 ex, this ecstatic perception and experience of unity and diversity uh, at, at, at this, at this overwhelming level, level of intensity, they all described as being the most incredible event that had ever happened in mm. their life. And, and this experience had a very big impact upon our whole community and on the direction of our work. But this, this was really one, this was one example where the, where the pressure and the intensity and ca calling people to, 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 to want to go all, all the way for the sake of a very big leap in consciousness worked. Uh, many times, many times these aspirations failed, and the only reason I give this example is because I'm, uh, I, I just want to say that I, I am responsible for, for, for being uh, abusive and for being, um, for lacking compassion and for lacking empathy and for being cruel at times, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. But I don't, I think it's important. Not but what to was what was your in, in situations uh, where it didn't work? What was your 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 thought process when you when you thought, okay, I have to push the boundaries, I I have to insert a form of violence. What um what was your thought process? How I, I said it before, you are a child of postmodernity. We you have all this knowledge about subjectivity and empathy and and what what was the kind of thinking uh, which enabled you to say okay I'm I'm going forward and I'm I'm going over the line. Well, I I think I had some mistake. I had I don't think I know I had some very mistaken and wrong ideas. I I felt that again I I say this within the context of realizing that often I that I was wrong. 
But in the, at, at those times, my position was, my often wrong position was, and sometimes it was right, was that people weren't serious. They weren't serious and they didn't get it, that this really was a life and death situation. That if we really wanted something very big to happen to change, we had it had to be a life and death, death issue. So the reason I pushed that hard was to get people to realize that it was really life and death and that I, that I meant it. And I was shockingly... Uh, but why would you? Why would you? When if a person doesn't know if what she wants, why would you push that person to that kind of extreme thing? Uh, but in the but no, but in the context that we were working together, I was working with with people that were very committed and very aware of the context they were working with, and we all we all knew what we were doing and what we said yes to. So that we, we didn't pull innocent people off the street without years of training for mm. this kind. Of, you know, these everybody was very informed. And everybody was already very consciously committed. This was, mm. and um, and it took people, you know, years to get to get close enough to be part of part of things like this. But I'm just telling you what my thinking was. I'm not I'm not justifying myself. I realized that my thinking was wrong because um, I know in my own thinking that I lacked empathy, and I and I was shockingly, appallingly, and frighteningly frighteningly disconnected from the 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 individual human being who was struggling through this mm. because I, I i i i didn't see the individual i saw the potential that could come through the individual the the spiritual and the metaphysical potential that could come through the individual but i was too often unaware of the uh of the the, the actual nature of the existential crisis that i was creating in order to give rise to a breakthrough mm. and I was. I had and, all and of those, and those situations. Were you on the mythic stage of development? I, I, I wouldn't know how to define this stage I was at at that point. No, I, I mean because we were talking about. I mean we're talking about the system, but the system is um, um, combined by by persons and and constructed by persons. So when when we're talking about mythic guru, uh, a mythic guru system, at least a part of you had to uh, inhabit that stage. Well, I've never thought about it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't actually know, but I think that um, that must have been the case because because uh, one very great gift of postmodernity has to do with the 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 awareness uh, and the sensitivity to our to our individuality. Mm. But but I, I I never thought about it that way. I mean, I I was trying to explain it a couple of minutes ago that I I really was I really saw I saw. That I saw us all as part of a process, hmm. and that through the individual, that through through each and every one of us, the process can evolve. Hmm. But but before the process to be able to evolve through us, the individual has to be willing to play their part. Hmm. And and that and I was, I was focused on that perspective, and I was so focused on it that I, to a shocking degree, lost track and lost touch of the, of the individuals that I was working with. Hmm. So when these when these experiments were successful every everybody was you know yeah, but the question remains on one on what on what level were these experiments successful on the level of mythic development um or on on what level well we were well we were putting the whole the whole mythic notion of enlightenment within it within the context of evolution mm. so we were we were basically exploring the the whole experience of enlightened consciousness in the context that consciousness is moving somewhere and is mm. part of a process that's going somewhere new. Mm. So 
so for that reason, I would I would definitely say that it was a, it was second tier cognition that was that was that was compelling us towards uh, participating in a process that was going to, that was aspiring to to catalyze consciousness to move forward. Mm-hmm. In the traditional, the mythic context, consciousness just is. It's being. It's not going anywhere new, and it's not trying to change anything, and it's not trying to create anything new. It's just resting as it is, hmm. in all of its fullness and all of its perfection. And we were very, and we were very much engaged in a kind of practice together, where we were literally catalyzing the movement of consciousness itself, individually and collectively. And um, and as I said, when these, when it, when it, when it worked, and when these breakthroughs were successful, I mean, everybody realized that something extraordinary was happening hmm. between us, and that, and that we were, we were engineering a kind of uh, metaphysical uh, magic and potency that had great significance. And when it didn't work, it was a disaster, and and people suffered, and uh, and it was awful, and. Hmm. And as you know, many people are understandably still angry about the times when it didn't work. Mm. So you 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 want to um, start again with with teaching, as far as I understand. How do you want to change that that power dynamics, that that dynamics of uh, violence, um, which, which are described by by Girard, for example? Hmm? All I, I I am in I am in a constant state of recoiling. You know the word recoil in English. It's a fall, pull back from. Mm. Uh, the any desire to push anybody to get anywhere. Mm. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm recoiling from my from my firm my, from the firm belief I held for so many years that if people are going to change, they have to be pushed. Mm. And so I'm very much in a state of recoil from this from this position in myself. So I can't imagine. I mean, what I want what I want to be able to do now is to inspire people. Mm. To inspire people by helping to catalyze them into higher states of consciousness and to uh, speaking about philosophical and metaf- metaphysical how do you want, how do you want to do this inspire them and, and be a catalyst for for this development how do you want to do this well, by being together and by speaking hmm. sharing sharing space together and, and speaking about uh, about higher perspectives and higher possibilities hmm. but I have no interest at all in trying to push anybody in any way for any reason. I mean, I, I've done more than my fair share of pushing and I, I literally have almost an, ega- an organic r- a revulsion to that in myself. I, I literally feel it mm. because, because I pushed too many people too hard for too long and I, and I, I don't have any doubt about it. And I, I am, um, I feel bad about a lot of it and I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to teach that way anymore. I don't want to engage in this process at all in that way anymore. Mm. That compulsion is is not active in me anymore. I mean, I've there's a petition to in the internet. I don't know if you know. There's a petition to stop you from from teaching. Have you have you read that? I didn't read it, but I'm aware of it. Yes. Uh, what do you think about this? It's painful. Do you understand why this petition exists? Well, I, the petition exists because there are a lot of people that don't want me to teach again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mm. But but what what would you say to those people if you had the chance? Well, I, I well I still believe 
that in, in spite of the mistakes I made, that I have, uh, I have, I have gifts. I have gifts to give, and I have. I, I believe I can. Uh, bring, I still can. I still have a lot to give, and I can still bring a lot that's positive to the world. And all the more so, because of everything that I have learned and everything that I'm learning from everything that went so wrong. Hmm. What, so I, what kind of gift do you, are you talking about? Well, I mean, the essential gift that I that I received from my teacher is still very much present in my in myself. It's still, it still it hasn't gone anywhere. It's the very reason that so many people were attracted to with, to me, and so many people stayed with me for so many years. Hmm. There is, um, I'm, you know, I, I'm a catalyzer of of consciousness and of spiritual aspiration and of um, higher thinking, and that and that capacity is still very much within me, and it's it's a, it's a gift I still want to give and. How does it work? How how does it work being a catalyst? Uh, well, it started um, it started almost immediately after I spent three weeks with my my guru, the H W L Punja, mm -hmm. who was a direct disciple of Ramana Maharshi. And and when I after these three weeks I spent with him, mo mostly spending every day along with him and going for walks with him and having talks with him, he told me that. When I left him, something very big was going to happen, mm. and I didn't believe him. I said, "How the hell does he know what's going to happen?" And when I left him, I went to visit friends. I he 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 was staying with his son in Lucknow, so I got on the train in the station in Lucknow on my way to New Delhi. And as I was I was just sitting in the train by myself. There was no one in the car there, and I my I became engulfed by this spiritual energy, and it was overwhelmingly powerful and profound. It was. It was all around me and it was within me. And I suddenly was swimming in an ocean of being, an ocean of consciousness. There was a powerful energy and intelligence that seemed to have awakened within my whole system, within my whole being. And I suddenly felt I was being carried and I was in the world and not of the world at the same time. And when I got to New Delhi, I met a friend and um, I just started telling her that I'd spent this very extraordinary three weeks with this uh, this. this this extraordinary man. And as I started telling her about these three weeks and this extraordinary man, she became mm. drawn into this field of consciousness that I was in the midst of. And the more I shared with her, the more intense the field became between us. And she started to have an experience of, of enlightenment or enlightened awareness. And it was so it was so intense for her. She said, she, she said it's too much, it's too much. Mm. And this started to happen uh, to all, all to every in those early days, it was happening to everybody I met. When I simply started sharing what my experience was, a field, a, 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 an inner subjective field of consciousness opened up between us, and people's people's consciousness began to expand, and they started having enlightenment experiences. So, um, I mean, you're talking about a form of Shaktipat, basically, no? Well, I'm not. It, I wouldn't. You could compare it to Shaktipat, but my understanding of Shaktipat is more specifically the awakening of the Kundalini energy, and I'm not. I'm not sure that what I'm describing is exactly the same. Exactly the same effect. This is. This is. This is. I think a slightly different a form of, but it's a form of transmission. But what I wanted to just say is that um, that over the years, you know, this this, this transmission of of absolute consciousness that came from my teacher was would continually be activated when I was in a teaching function or teaching position, and then this this transmission began to be began to be more and more informed by metaphysical and philosophical ideas 
that I was learning and developing and expanding. So when people would spend time with me, not only would they have an experience of expanded consciousness, but they would be exposed to philosophical and metaphysical ideas that would compel them to begin to think about life in a bigger and deeper way. And, um, and, and especially the work I was doing with many of my students on the magazine we created together in like next was like my, it was like a laboratory. It was like going to university. Hmm. And so we, we were so all the ideas we were in the first years of the magazine we were questioning a lot of new age new age ideas new age beliefs you know mm. we were would you say slaughtering a lot of the sacred cows of new age belief new age beliefs and new age thinking but then later on when I got exposed to integral consciousness integral ideas th those ideas began to inform the way I was teaching and all the more so when when I had this real profound awakening to evolution. The evolution orientation began to inform the actual experience of the awakening to consciousness itself. So, uh, so people became not only would have experiences of expanded states of consciousness, would be but would be simultaneously in, intellectually enlivened and inspired, and started thinking about life, what it means to be a human being, what's the purpose of existence, uh, what what is a purposeful existence, what you know, would people would I I, I would I would get people to question. You know, ask fundamental existential questions of meaning and purpose and context that were that were very powerful and very profound and 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 and, and really started people inspired people to start dig, digging and digging a lot deeper into what is what is it what is what does it mean to exist who am i and why am i here and what's the purpose of, of all this and am i how conscious am i and does the life i'm living make sense in the context of a higher purpose or purple purposefulness am i just sleepwalking am i just brainwashed by by the culture that I've come from, am I am I awake to how conditioned I am? Am I am how how free how how free are the choices that I'm making? How free actually are the choices that I'm making, or am I just an unconscious robot? I mean, all these kinds of questions. And then, and this, you know, it's powerful and it's inspiring and it's uplifting. And and um, have so you have you an alternate way to understanding what you're doing in those moments? I mean, you're talking about transmission. But um, could it be possible that this is another um, thing? Like, like for example, I'm, I'm thinking uh, NLP, hypnosis, some form. <laughs> it is, no, 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 it's like it's, it's not so far out because uh, it has shown that a lot of um, people in high positions are naturals in using this hypnotic... Uh, ways of using speech patterns to bring people in other states and states they want to. So have you ever considered that you uh, are simply uh, uh, a master, <laughs> a natural in uh, neurolinguistic programming? Well, I think no. I've never really. I, I've, <laughs> I've really <laughs> no. I've never. I've never really thought about it. But the, the, and the probably the reason is that I've that I've never, never questioned that deeply is because most of the time, the kinds of experiences people have in my presence when I'm teaching are, are there experiences that make people more serious, more sincere, more transparent and more sensitive and softer and, and more intelligent and, and not, uh, and so, and when you see, see people affected in this way, you realize that something very, something very positive is happening There's a very positive effect is happening that, um, that awakens and inspires people. Hmm. But isn't that more more of the same? I mean, if if you do a transmission, 
you know and and isn't that inserting your worldview your way of thinking onto other people isn't that also a form of violence uh well okay that's a very good question you brought up so first of all it's a very important question you brought up which i want to answer but first of all i want to say in terms of the transmission dimension of this it happens by itself i don't do anything i i honestly don't do a thing it, this is this was simply the gift that my teacher the, the gift that my teacher gave me and i don't even know how he gave it to me mm. but it was it was a and I went to him, I was, um, I was very serious when I went to him. I, I wanted to be, whatever that means, I wanted to be free more than anything else. I wanted to be an enlightened person. I didn't know what it meant. And I told him, I said, I want to be, I, I said, I, uh, I, I want to die, but I don't know how, I told him. And he didn't, he, and his eyes filled up with tears, but he didn't say anything. And so I went with him with an open heart and with an open mind. I was very, very earnest. And, and then as I told you, as a result of the, of the time with this extraordinary man, this, this, he catalyzed this kind of metaphysical transformation. And ever since I went through this transformation, I became a vehicle for the gift he gave myself. And so in terms of the transmission dimension of it, this is nothing, I don't do anything. I don't, there's nothing I do except I fall into what's called a natural state. And, and, but, uh, and, let, and let, excuse me, one, one thing, because I think this is important. Isn't that in itself a mythic de description of what happens with, with world with you with self that you are a, a vehicle a vessel that something is um embodying you so to say isn't that in light of psychology uh is that even possible or is it is that a illusion in a way there's no it's absolutely not an illusion hmm. it's absolutely not an illusion but let, let, let's get back to this what yeah. i wanted to I wanted to uh, no, it's it's a it's a miracle, it's a miracle that even to this day I don't understand. It's it's quite miraculous. Um, but even this that, is what even you, even the word miracle, you can't use it without relating to the mythic stage of development. I, I I wouldn't reduce miraculous happenings and miraculous events and miraculous capacities to first tier. No, 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 to of first course not, not, not really. totally. But you can't totally <laughs> can't totally. Separate yourself from that, but but miraculous, but but miraculous capacities can also manifest themselves in second and second and third tier without mm. any question. But let me let me get to yes. your the question, I, and I, the reason I think it's interesting is the question I'm struggling with. I don't know the answer to it because you're saying, well, okay, uh, what are what are the power structures going to be now mm. that you've realized that the power structures you were using earlier. Were, were mythic and, and inherently repressive because, 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 because of that. And my question to you is, I, is I honestly don't know. What, I, what I'm aware of, what I'm very aware of now is that I don't want to in any way repeat the same mistakes of before, and I don't, I don't want to assume the mythic position. I mean, I, I don't see myself in the same way anymore. I know that I'm a flawed human being. I know mm. that I've brought great good into the world, and I also know that I've cause great suffering hmm. and I I don't have any I, I don't I'm not carrying those same illusions about myself as an individual and I don't I don't even feel the same new need for people to see me in that way because before I as a result of a lot of introspection I realized that I had a I had a narcissistic need to be seen as being the perfect Satguru the great Satguru hmm. 
and obviously that identity has been smashed in 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 quite a profound and public and, and excruciatingly painful way and it has and i've spent a lot of time working through this but one of the things that i've that's happened is is that is i don't i don't have a particular i don't have a need for people to see me as being perfect or to see me as being superior or being in some particular elevated elevated position you know one of the things that happened when i was teaching a small group in paris a few months ago and I, the people in the group were people who knew me before, and they told me that they, they said, Andrew, the, the the power and the transmission of what you're sharing is is as strong as it was before, but now you feel like you're one of us. Before you were you were assuming a position that was very much superior, so you made all of us feel that we could never that what you were what you were sharing was so extraordinary and profound. But we always felt we were never going to be able to get there because you were you were so far above us. And now we feel that we we as a result of the fact that you're not holding yourself in a superior or elite position, the immediacy of what you're sharing is 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 uh, makes it feel attainable by by everyone. Hmm. So this, but do you describe uh, yourself as a teacher now, or would you like to describe yourself as a teacher in, in the in the years to come? Or what kind kind of um, name or title do you assume? Well, I. I <laughs> or, are you just, or are you just Andrew? I, the thing is that um, the, the this see this is an easy thing to misunderstand. You know, some one of my former students wrote me an email and he, and he said, "Oh, he said I I see you something like I see you still have are holding on to the identity of being a teacher, like an assumed identity." But what? But the thing is that it's not actually true that I'm holding on to an assumed identity, that the deepest part of the, the, the my teacher awakened what's called a teaching function. So it's a certain kind of capacity that is it's that that in particular circumstances becomes awakened. It's not it's not something that you go to school to learn how to do and then you get a degree and then you're taught a specific method of teaching. And you're given a certain, um, you know, you it, it's it's a it's a the teaching function is a certain capacity that gets turned on or awakened in particular circumstances, and then 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 in in those moments that's who I become. Hmm. Now one very interesting thing was is and and, I, and this is where I made a big mistake in the past is a, a close friend of mine, who spent a long time with my teacher. Recalled to me that when he was in, he was sitting in the room with my my guru, H. W. L. Punjji, and, and my teacher said to, said to this man, he said, he said, always remember to distinguish between the man and the master. Mm. Meaning that who who he was when he was transmitting, who he was when he was in the role of the spiritual master, was not necessarily the same being as who he was when he was not in that role. Mm. And I believed, and I spoke publicly about the fact that I, I was aspiring for there to be no difference between the man and the master. Hmm. But will your, and, teaching, will, will your teaching change? Or is it the, of, is it the no, same? No, no, it's it's going to change a lot. Hmm. But just, 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 to, just to finish the last thing hmm. I was saying, that um, um, because, because in the little teaching that I've done over the last few months, I'm very transparent about the past, my history, the crash, my role in it, everything that's happened, the fact that uh, that I'm a flawed human being like everybody else, and mm. 
and far from fully conscious. And I'm very trans. I, I'm not pretending to try. I'm not pretending that I'm anything other than those things. Where I realize now, in the past, I was pretending the opposite. And because I was such a powerful teacher, and because I'm I was so charismatic, uh, a lot of people, I think, could could have believed or did believe that 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 I was. Uh, more more evolved in many ways than I actually really was. And what I've come to understand now through a lot of my own introspection about all this is that the idea of being of being perfect or being fully fully developed is a mythic idea. It's a mythic belief. It, it doesn't actually exist mm. when you get to modernity, into post modernity because we're especially and all the more so in an evolutionary context. We're all always works in progress. We all always have a shadow. Mm. We'll, we'll, We'll never be able to be fully conscious, but we can always continuously aspire to become more and more conscious. So, the fact, so for me, the big, the big shift is not is not having a, is not pretending hmm. to be other than I actually am. But what I've but I've but what I've discovered is, and this was a big surprise to me, was that that it's possible for it's it's possible to be to be to be broken and to be. To be uh, flawed and to still and st still to be able to share an experience hmm. that is that is that is the opposite of that. Hmm. So yeah, but but I'm wondering how how would that look like? I mean, isn't that we we talked about this before? Isn't that the teacher disciple? model about spiritual spiritual development isn't that inherently flawed in a way even because it's it's originated from from a mythic stage you know do, don't no, we I have agree. to find I, new absolutely. ways of of um dealing with this? absolutely 100 percent we do and um so the relationships with the people that i'm close to now are very different than before because my relationships with everybody that i everybody around me was hmm. that i was the master and they were and they were the disciple And you know, in the in the mythic context, the the guru is the parent and the disciple of the children. Mm. And in my community, I was the big parent. The senior students were the little parents, and everyone else were the children. And of course, it's horrible to say this, but that was fundamentally the structure in which we were working. Even though we were all sophisticated adults dealing with a sophisticated philosophy, there was still fundamentally the structure. So I've that, I mean that's that's been seen through quite dramatically. And the, and I have the relationships I have now with people that I'm close to is is it's a it's a, it's a, there we have peer relationships, so we are peers. I'm no longer I'm no longer put on a pedestal, and I'm very and transparent. What, I understand, but what will you do if if there's a, a a man a young man is coming or a young woman, and say, Andrew, please be my be my teacher. <laughs> um, how how will will you de deal with this? I mean, um, how. Does your attitude to, to this has changed? Will you will you be that that personal teacher, or how will you how will you deal with this? I, but I, I think it's possible to be a teacher without pretending to be perfect or without flaws. Mm. Because um, you remember, I think when we, we we spoke together last week, in and in, in any other field of human endeavor, whether it's philosophy or psychology or medicine or music or whatever it is, individuals who have gone more deeply and studied more deeply of any particular field can, can gain a level of mastery and a deeper level of understanding of that subject. And if you want to learn more about 
that particular subject. Hmm. If you spend time learning from such an individual, you 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 can learn. Uh, if you study with them, you can learn more about it because they've gone so much farther in that particular subject than you have. Hmm. So that so that so that that also is that also works with the field that we're speaking about. It's not it's not any different. But um, but the, the the but the problem with the the mythic model is the idea that the, the teacher has arrived has has arrived to some perfect position, some perfect place where now they're totally and completely free. Hmm. And and so this this is an illusion that needs to be smashed and let go of. Hmm. And so so the, so the so but the question you brought up about what about the the the, the power structures, that's a very intriguing question. Isn't it? And and in in the goal of evolutionary enlightenment, there was a there was a there was a fun a particular goal in evolutionary enlightenment, and the goal was uh, to to be able to experience autonomy and communion in a context of natural hierarchy. So the way this works is that usually, if we're going to experience profound communion with another human being or other human beings, we have to give up a measure of autonomy. Usually, if we want to experience autonomy, we have to give up a measure of communion. So the goal of the teaching was to be able to experience pr profound communion or oneness with the other or the others, but with simultaneously without having to abandon or to give up any measure of autonomy. That's mm. it's very unusual. So the goal was to experience autonomy and communion in a context of natural hierarchy. Mm. And, and that was the goal of the teaching. And so we're, we're, my understanding as I've thought, thought about the past is that we... In, in my community, through the spiritual work we did, we experienced, we experienced high and very profound and rarefied levels of intense communion. Hmm. We, the next step, really, as enlightenment crumbled, you know, in that prior year, we were beginning to, to explore, and we're about to go into the exploration of autonomy, but we, but we didn't. So, so the the autonomy part was was actually suppressed and wasn't really developed. And we didn't we didn't have a natural hierarchy, even though I thought we did. We had a power hierarchy, a power or a dominator hierarchy. So, so the so my aspiration mm. that that as, as the aspiration of the goal for what I'm sharing or the, the teaching that I'll give is still the same to to be able to catalyze the the the, the experience of, of of a liberated autonomy and and communion in the context of natural hierarchy, which we did, which we we hadn't reached yet. Mm. So, so then that so natural hierarchy once again, once once again, which I which I came up I came up with this idea a long time ago, but I failed at actually giving rise to it. But a natural autonomy, uh, uh, a natural hierarchy would be the opposite of a dominated hierarchy. It would be a hierarchy where we would recognize recognize and acknowledge real differences that exist, without anybody needing to be suppressed in any way or made to feel less than as a result of them. Hmm. Mm. There was um, a couple of weeks ago short piece documentary on the Atlantic. I, um, it's a short video. And there, there was a thing I, I wanted to ask you about. You said something like, for a long time I was convinced that uh, if I felt something strong in the level of my intuition, I tend to think that what it was, a feeling, uh, was an objective truth. And often it was, especially in the early years. But later on, some of my feelings might have just come from my ego and might have nothing to do with an objective reality. So now I, I was thinking a little bit about this. What... 
what do you mean in this context um, with objective reality? Well, in this context, the objective reality was it something that I that I that I experienced at a level of intuition or feeling uh, as being true was maybe had to do. Well, let me let me go back to explain how I got there, mm -hmm. which was which was when I was with my teacher in those three weeks. I was with my teacher. He's I believe that he saw what was happening to me. He saw that I was going to become a teacher. So. At one point, I, I was expressing some doubt about something, hmm. something that I'd seen, and he, and he screamed at me very loud. He screamed at me to never, ever, ever doubt myself. Hmm. I was, you know, I was, I was in a very vulnerable place in my relationship with him, and he was, he saw what was going to happen. So this, this particular instruction of his of never to doubt myself, once I gained this spiritual power that I told you about before, once this awakened in me, I, I my trust or my belief in myself following his instruction never to doubt myself awakened a level of into of the, my intuition became very sharp and and i would respond to things so quickly it's almost like you know the 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 metaphors of the in zen of the archer hitting the striving to hit the bullseye and they say you can only hit the bullseye if there's no mind involved hmm. yeah. so I, I in regard to what well, I, I, I'm just saying, the, I'm just relating what I'm just trying to describe yeah. to you to the Zen, Zen yeah, metaphor, I, I, when, I, when there's no more to hit the bullseye. So, in the early years of my teaching, I, I, was, speak, I was reacting spontaneously a lot, and, and most of the time in those days, I was hitting the bullseye. Yeah, but what This had to do usually with in, in teachings and interactions with people and things like that. You know, this, this was when I was, I would, I would often be reacting faster than even thought. And then these, these usually would have incredibly powerful and profound and positive effects on people. But what happened later on is that this became a very fixed this became a very fixed belief in my belief in my gut and belief in what my gut was telling me. And I always thought, and this was delusional. I mean, I was I, this, I discovered, you know, years later that this was a, this was a form of delusion. When I felt something very strongly in my gut, in my what I believe was my intuition, I said, no, this is true. And I, what I realized, what I've come to realize, I've come to understand. That all the more so in the later years and the earlier years was that sometimes what I was feeling at a level of intuition was was objectively true, and otherwise it might have just been personal preferences. It might have just been my own ego's responses. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't an objective external reality, but it was my own personal world. And I and but I realized is, it. I'm sorry, but is there something like a objective reality? I mean, is, isn't that what, well, what postmodernity has shown that? <laughs> That, okay. that there is no yeah. absolute truth and yeah. no absolute reality well, objective? Well, well, I think we could have greater degrees of objectivity and lesser degrees of objectivity. I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. But in, for this particular example, I, I re, I, I, just to make it blunt, I realized that, that, I, that I had thought I was absolutely right about something because I felt it. And I came to realize that there were many times when I was completely wrong. Hmm. I mean, and, I, and, I, and, and this was like a shock to me. And, 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 I, and this said... And, it, and I'm trying to explain the history of it, but this had this also had created a lot of karma. Mm. Yeah, but even uh, the intuitions which you were thinking about were right. Wasn't that ev like inserting your perspectives on onto those people, your your perceptions? Uh, wasn't even that maybe a, a, a power structure that that was working? I mean, well, well, there is nothing well, like objective truth about the internal workings of another person. It's only your perspectives. 
Right, but if, if you but if okay, but let, let's just go there step by step. If if the goal is to hit the bullseye of the of the if it's to put the arrow on the bullseye and hit the bullseye, then objectively you've 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 hit the bullseye. So if people if people in this sense were were coming to me to have an experience, in those, especially in the early years, an experience of going beyond their own minds, and and the and the speed of my responses enabled them to have an an experience of going beyond their own mind that they testified to as a result of it, then that was hitting the bullseye. Hmm. What, what, this does, wasn't it, what does it mean going beyond their own mind? Uh, it's when, it's when, it's, it's a moment in which you, in which you get, have a, you glimpse the truth of the fact that the 99.9999% of our conscious experience is deeply conditioned. Hmm. It's a moment experiencing consciousness beyond, beyond this conditioned Uh, web and it's it's a it's a it's a glimpse of it's a glimpse of freedom. Hmm. So what were you doing? You were saying some things, and then those people were moving beyond their realm of conditioning, or what? what? They, would, they, they, they would have they would have an exhilarating glimpse of the infinite. Yes, of the, of, give, of the un. Can you give an example? How would that work? What like a like? I mean, a, I mean, it, I mean I, <laughs> these things have, can happen in any particular way. I don't really. Uh, a lot of this, I, I, I think, is I worked this way many years ago. I stopped working this way a long time ago, so I can't remember any particular examples. But it would just be in the, usually the form of kind of dialogue of question, questions and answers, and responding in a, in a particular way that would uh, catalyze an experience of the individuals, as I've been saying, to to glimpse beyond the beyond the infinitely conditioned nature hmm. of consciousness ordinarily is, and having a glimpse of the unconditioned nature of consciousness, and that is the ultimate experience of freedom because because it's timeless and formless and beginningless and endless and 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 you realize in that moment that this that the self or the i sense is that which is always unconditioned and free from it's just that most of the time we're so con unconsciously identified with layers upon layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of conditioning that we're simply unaware of it so those moments are very exhilarating exhilarating liberating and give us such an enormous sense of uh, of, of of hope and inspiration about what's possible because mm. but the and this is an endless insight because the discovery of how of of of, of how conditioned we are is can is it can be experienced over and over and over again there's no end there's almost no end to it the level of of, of the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon, upon layer of conditioning and it's not a problem mm. can you, you differentiate now When, when those moments uh, are uh, like um, objectively too, and when, when they were coming from your ego, like in, in, this, in this description, can you differentiate what you did differently? But I, but I, but I, but I, <laughs> but you see, Mark, as a result of this, of this uh, enormous catastrophe that I catalyzed that I've been through, I, I am much slower in my responses. I, I'm much more, I consider what what i'm experiencing and i inquire a lot more than i did before because i i'm i'm not so i'm not so sure of myself as i was before before i was very sure of myself and i and it was part of what made me very attractive as a teacher was i was i had an unbelievable amount of confidence and so i, I because of everything that's happened i'm not so sure in the way i was before i th i think a lot more carefully about what i'm experiencing and i question a lot of things i'm i'm, I'm thinking and i'm feeling But you, said, to find out you, you said like a couple of months ago, I don't know when this interview was, but that you think that in the early years you hit the bullseye. So what what changed? Where where was the moment um, 
in your words where the ego was coming in. What was the difference? You know, you said in the early years, uh, your intuition... I understand. Um, I mean, I'm not exactly sure when it began to change, but all, all I'm saying is I, in retrospect, because mm. I think you're saying, well, how do you know that what you thought was hitting the bullseye earlier on was, was hitting the bullseye? Because I, because I, I could tell by the, the, the consequences of what happened. Oh, okay. The, the, the consequence of the effect on other people was, um, the, was profoundly and powerfully illuminating and liberating. And that was the response. That's where how individuals were responding. That's how they were testifying. They were speaking about their own experience mm. in a way that proved that that was that was the case. But but when I when I when when the when the crash happened and I was forced to question myself in a in a very deep and profound way, which I'm still it's a process I'm still in the midst of. That was when I began to think back and realize that one, you know one very big problem for me or a source of what created a lot of problems was was my doubtlessness mm. in my myself mm. and so to, so the answer to your question now as a result of that i'm not i'm 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 i question myself all the time mm. I, i should have been doing that all along but i've learned the hard way yeah you you, <laughs> you can't talk about evolution without being subjected to it i guess <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, well, I, but in my in my in my more liberated moments, I and that that's the context in which I see my own process. Mm. So, yeah. So, I mean, but I, I think um, th there has to be some changes, and there have to be new ways of relationship re which you, uh, which are reflecting the postmodern or even post postmodern way of thinking. So, I agree. And and. Agree. and um, I, think I agree. We will see what uh, evolution is uh, spitting out in terms of results. I, hmm? No, no, I agree with you completely. And the thing is, I, where I'm at in myself and my own process is, I know what I don't want to do, mm. and I don't want to do what I did before in the ways that I did before. But uh, I don't know, the term, especially in relationship to the forms, it's the form and the forms, and these structures. I. I really honestly don't know and I and I and I am earnestly in a process of trying to figure it out and I know I can't do that by myself I can only do that with other people mm. that's something we can only figure out together it's not something I can figure out on my own but I'm very curious about it because because the, because these are questions that need answers and the and there are a lot of a lot of a lot of us need those answers and I and I I know I don't have those answers yet mm. I'm sure I don't Have you? But I'm. Mm -hmm. I'm have sorry. You, have you? No, 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 no. Have you, um, in a way, apologized to to those students um, who um, who were subjected to those power structures in a way? Well, I've I've apologized publicly several times, and I, I I've traveled around the world, uh, reaching out to a lot of people and, and apologizing personally to many many people, and. Um, And I think there's also more to go, but I have done a lot of apologizing. Mm. Well, Andrew, let's see what will happen. <laughs> I've, I've, I've appreciated talking to you, Mark. And um, my name is still Tom. And Tom, <laughs> Tom. I can be Mark, and you will be Anthony, and everything is good. It's because it's because your name's Tom and Mark. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. That's that's how that's how I ended up with. <laughs> 
but so, I very much appreciate the, the the time and the questions. And many of the questions you're asking about the future are questions I don't. They're questions. They're my questions too. I don't have the answers yet. And and um, that's what I'm I'm dedicating the rest of my life to finding those answers in in an, in an authentic way that has real integrity and that it, that will be a real a real response to a lot of the places and ways I went wrong. Mm. And I, I feel that that's very, I feel very urgent about finding those answers because I think that's one, one very big and important way to respond to the, to the ways and the places that I went wrong. Mm. So I'm very, that's very, I'm very focused on this, but I'm being very careful about it. But I, I know they're important questions for all of us. Mm. Well, in any way, good luck with what you're doing, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this was <laughs> this was like a joke. Okay, um, yeah. Thank you for taking the time, Andrew. My pleasure. I'm very much very much appreciated. Okay.